And aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is our living hope? And that is the purpose of Christmas, that Jesus came to this earth as a baby to live a sinless life, to die a death he didn't deserve, to raise from the dead and give us hope. That is the message of Christmas. And over these past four weeks, we've been looking at some different songs in the book of Luke pertaining to Christmas. We looked at Mary's uh, song of joy. We looked at Zechariah's song of praise. We look at the angel's song of good news. And today we're going to look in Luke, the second part of Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at the song of recognition. I would say to you that we live in a world, in a culture that does not recognize Jesus for who he is. I read a Christian Post article this past week, and this was the headline. Less than half of Americans and 63% of church-going Christians did not believe or did believe Jesus existed before Christmas, before his birth in Bethlehem. Less than half of Americans and only 63% of church-going Christians believe Jesus existed before his birth in Bethlehem. In that same article, it said that Arizona Christian University published a study this year and found only 6% of 176 million Americans who identify as Christians hold a biblical world view. Only 6% of those who identify as Christians hold a biblical world view. Most, most Americans, and sadly many Christians, do not connect the Jesus born in Bethlehem with the promised Messiah who already existed as God before the creation of the world, now coming in the flesh. But we know Jesus himself said that he was God, and he is God. In John 1.1, John says, In the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and mercy. You see, many people fail to recognize Jesus for who He is. And when you look at the low percentage of self-identified Christians who hold a biblical worldview, is it any wonder that most people have a false view of Jesus? And last week we looked at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and talked about the angel's song of good news to the shepherds about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And the passage we're going to read today in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 38, we're going to look at what has been called the song of recognition. We're going to see that there were two people who clearly recognized and understood who Jesus was and why he came. And what we're going to discover is what should happen in our lives when we recognize Jesus for whom he is. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. Let's start by reading in verses 21 to 24. It says, when the eight days were completed for circumcision, he was named Jesus. Now, that was according to Jewish law. The baby child was not named until eight days after his birth when he could be circumcised. He was named Jesus. It says, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Remember, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and Joseph and said, you're going to have a son, and his name will be called Jesus, meaning the one who saves. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So according to Luke, 
Mary and Joseph followed Jewish law. They took baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate him to God. Now they had to wait 40 days to do so according to the Jewish law so Mary could complete her purification ritual after giving birth to a firstborn male child. She had to remain unclean for seven days. And then she was confined to 33 days before journeying to the temple to offer a sacrifice of a lamb for a burnt offering and an eternal dove for a sin offering. However, Luke says that Mary and Joseph offered two turtle doves. There was an exception for those who could not afford the lamb. If you look at Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, it says, For those who could not afford the lamb, those who were poor, Instead, they could offer two turtle doves, one for the sin offering and one for the burnt offering. And this is exactly what Mary and Joseph did. They followed the Jewish law. And then we pick it up in verse 25 to 38, which is going to be our focus this morning. Starting in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout and looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. A sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess Anna a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. From this passage, I want to give you six things that needs to happen in our life if we truly recognize Jesus for whom he is. The first thing is this. If we truly recognize Jesus for whom he is, we will live openly for him. You see, Simeon lived in Jerusalem. That was the political and religious center of Israel back then and it still is today. And Simeon's name means God has heard. And this is significant because God did hear Simeon and he fulfilled his promise to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. And what is revealed about Simeon is not his occupation or his age, but his spiritual condition. Luke says he lived righteously and devoted his life to God. Simeon was not ashamed of his faith in God. Simeon was willing to live out his faith. He feared God and he was faithful to God. And when other people looked at Simeon's life, they could tell that he loved God. They could tell that he lived for God. And how Simeon lived his life is exactly how God wants us to live our lives as well. You see, God desires for our lives to be defined by righteousness. And let's be clear, the world, the culture, does not define righteousness. The world, the culture, does not de declare what is right and what is wrong. Right and wrong is only defined by the character of God and the Word of God, and nothing 
else. In Psalm 1, 1 through 3, we have a great picture of what it means to live a righteous life. Listen to what the psalmist wrote. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. The psalmist gives us a great picture of someone who is dedicated to the Lord, to someone who lives a righteous life. And when we live a life of righteousness, it demonstrates that we are devoted to God and not the world. And many people are devoted to a lot of things. Maybe devoted to work. Maybe devoted to family. Maybe devoted to sports or or certain causes. And these things are not bad things. In fact, it's a good thing to be devoted to work. It's a good thing to be devoted to your family. It's a good thing to be devoted to certain causes. But what ultimately matters is being devoted to Christ. 1 Kings 8, when Solomon brought the ark to the temple and dedicated the temple, he gave a prayer dedication. And in 1 Kings 8, 61, listen to what Solomon said. He said, and may, you're speaking to the people of Israel, may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands at this time. Solomon gives us a perfect picture of what it means to live a life of righteousness and a life of devotion. He says, may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God and to live by his decrees and obey his commands. You see, the essence of devotion is obedience. You can't say you're devoted to God if you're not living for God. You can't be a part-time Christian You're either devoted to God or you're not devoted to God. You're either in or you're out. If you showed up to work three days out of the five days of the week, would you consider yourself devoted to your job? Would your employer consider you devoted to your job? Probably not. You would probably be fired and lose your job because of your lack of devotion. Why do we think if we're devoted to God part-time that we're really devoted to God when we're not? Students, if you went to school two out of the five days of a week, would your parents consider you devoted and dedicated to school? Probably not. And what's going to happen? You're probably going to fail. You see, it's the same in our relationship with God. If you only live for God part of the time, you're not dedicated to God at all. If you do not follow Jesus wholeheartedly, You are devoting yourself to something else, and as a result, you are rejecting God. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money, meaning you can't serve God in two masters. He says, You'll hate the one and love the other. And first and foremost, in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, Paul said, We are to have pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And as a true follower of Christ, We are devoted to God when we commit every part of our life loving Him and living for Him. And this is not done out of obligation. This is not done to earn salvation or to earn God's favor. Instead, we give everything to God because He gave everything to us when He gave us His Son, Jesus. And when people look at your life, I ask you, would they describe you as a righteous and devoted follower? Of Jesus, Would someone describe you as Luke described Simeon? Would they say that you are a person who lives out their faith? 
If you truly recognize Jesus for who he is, how you live your life will be, reflect, will be a reflection of your faith. Second thing I want to point out, if we recognize Jesus for who he is, we will listen closely to him. In verses 25 to 27, Scripture tells us three times about Simeon's encounter with the Holy Spirit. And it is evident that Simeon allowed the Holy Spirit to work in his life It's evident that the Spirit of God was upon him, that the Spirit revealed a specific purpose in his life. And Simeon allowed the Spirit to move in his life so that he was at the right place at the right time to see the Messiah. And because Simeon was submitted to the Holy Spirit, he listened closely to God. And the fact that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon and working in his life is significant because at this time not all believers had the Holy Spirit upon them. Before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would only come upon a person at a specific time for a specific purpose. That's why in Psalm 51.11, David prayed and asked God not to take his spirit from him. That's why in 1 Samuel 16.14, it said that the spirit of Saul, or the spirit of the Lord, left Saul. But this all changed after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Because after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit now dwells within all believers permanently, And this happens the moment that a believer gives their life to Christ. So the moment that you gave your life to Christ is the moment that the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of you. And just like Simeon was obedient to God and to the Holy Spirit in his life, we need to listen to God and be obedient to the Holy Spirit in our life. You say, well, what does it look like to be obedient and to submit to the Holy Spirit? Well, for one thing, it's starting each day by dedicating it to the Lord before you do anything else. The first thing you should do when you get up in the morning is dedicate the day to the Lord. And then you need to allow God to guide your steps. You need to trust in Him and follow Him wherever He leads you. And you need to even give Him permission to interrupt your day and change your plans. You see, listening to God means you give Him complete control of your life. Listening to God means you allow the Holy Spirit to consume you and control you. There was a man that was on the the practice golf course when the club pro, he brought another man to the practice course for a lesson. And the pro watched his student swing several times and he started making suggestions on how he could improve his swing and improve his game. But each time the student interrupted with his own version of what was going wrong and how he needed to correct it. After a few minutes of being interfered with, the the golf pro began nodding his head in agreement. At the end of the session, the man paid the pro. He congratulated the golf pro on his expertise as a teacher. And the man that was watching and observing, he was so astonished about what had just taken place. He went up to the golf pro and he said, why did you go along with him the golf pro grinned at the observer and he said sir he said as he pocketed his fee he said i learned long ago it's a waste of time to sell answers to a man who wants to buy echoes think about that he's saying it's not worth my time to try to talk to someone and teach them when they're not willing to listen you see just like this golfer we have a choice We can either listen to God or we can ignore God. But to ignore God, though, is rebellion. 
To ignore God is idolatry in his eyes. Because what we're saying when we ignore God is that we're choosing to listen to someone else and even listen to ourselves over him. And unless we return to him and listen to him, consequences are going to come. There's a perfect example of this in 2 Chronicles chapter 33 in King Manasseh of Judah, whose godly father was Hezekiah. King Manasseh began to ignore God in spite of the example that his father had set. He abandoned the Lord. He let the Israelites fall into idolatry. He was deaf to God's voice, and he carried on with this evil for quite some time. But through the Assyrian army, God finally got his attention And Manasseh humbled himself and he turned back to God. And he began obeying the Lord instead of ignoring him. In my own life, I faced consequences for not listening to God. And when I didn't listen to God, it was painful. It was miserable. And if I could do it over again, I would make a different choice. Because when we listen to God, things turn out much differently. When we listen to God, we draw closer to God. When we listen to God, we gain godly wisdom and understanding. And when we listen to God and follow God, Scripture makes it very clear, we will be blessed by Him. So this morning, I want to encourage you to listen closely to God and allow His Spirit to control you and to guide you and to lead you and to consume you. The third thing I want to share with you this morning, if we recognize Jesus for who he is, we will wait patiently on him. All of his life, Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. Now you may ask, what is the consolation of Israel? It's referring to the Messiah who would bring peace and comfort to the people of Israel. And God told Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah, Jesus. Now, Jews had differing opinions on what this peace and comfort looked like. Many thought the Messiah was coming to give Israel peace by delivering them from the Romans and from their enemies. But then there were some like Simeon who understood the purpose of the coming of the Messiah was not earthly peace, but it was spiritual peace. So the Jewish people could have peace with God. And we don't exactly know how old Simeon was. Jewish tradition puts him somewhere between 112 and 113 years old. But can you imagine waiting over 100 years for something to happen? Most of us don't like waiting at all. Most of us get impatient. We want things to happen quickly on our timetable. But I'm sure you've noticed that life is full of waiting. There are waiting rooms. When you go to the doctor or the dentist, you sit in a waiting room. And then when you get called back, you sit in the doctor's room waiting on the doctor to come in. We wait to be seated at a restaurant. And if we go in and they say it's 30 or 45 minutes, we say, many of us say, that's too long. I'll go somewhere else. I remember it was one Valentine's Day in California. Uh, Joni and I went to a, a steakhouse and it was very busy that night. We went up to the hostess. She said it'll be a two hour wait. You're like, what? Two hours? We don't normally stick around for things like that, but, but I think our boys were really, really young. Maybe we didn't even have kids. I've forgotten. I've slept a while since then. But, but, uh, but we went. We said, we'll put our name on the list. So we went out. It was in a shopping center, did a little shopping, maybe got some coffee. We came back an hour later. We went up to the hostess and said, we're just checking to see the status of where our name is on the list. She looked and looked, and she couldn't find our name. 
You know what she did? She said, well, you must have already been called, so we'll go ahead and seat you. I was like, all right. So we got seated within about half the time. We're almost finished with our meal, and over the intercom we hear, Dwayne, party of two, Dwayne, party of two. (laughs) Dorney and I looked at each other and said, did you hear what I hear? We said, yeah. We did not say a word. We remained silent. We paid our bill, and we walked out. God was gracious. But we don't like waiting at all. We, uh, we wait when we call customer service. I've noticed when I've called customer service later, you get a message like this. We are experiencing higher call volumes than normal. Your wait time is over 20 minutes. Most people hang up. I don't. You know why I found out the wait time is usually about two minutes, not 20. They just don't want to talk to anyone. That's what I've discovered. And someone calculated that we spend six months of our lives waiting at stoplights. I don't know who had the time to do that, but someone calculated we spend six months of our lives at stoplights. I calculated that into hours. That's 4,320 hours we wait at a stoplight. We wait in lines, especially if you go Christmas shopping. I was in Meyer yesterday. Even the checkout, the self-checkout line was 20 people long. You couldn't find a line that was short, and if you wanted to get what you had in your basket or in your hand, you had to wait. And someone calculated, listen to this, that we spend over five years waiting in lines. That's 43,800 hours that we spend waiting in lines. You know what happens at the store? We're trying to find the shortest line. If it's got more than two people, we walk around and look around. And by the time we find the shortest line, we could have been out 30 minutes ago. You see, not only we get impatient and waiting in line or on the phone or in traffic or at the store, we get impatient in our relationship with God. We have a hard time waiting on God. And sometimes in our lives, God calls us to wait on Him. And I believe waiting on God is part of the maturing process, the sanctification process of a believer. And there's a saying that says, good things come to those who wait. Now, that's not in your Bible. Don't go looking for it. It's not there. But I do think there's some truth in that saying. In life, there are some things worth waiting for. Getting an education and getting that degree is worth waiting for. Finding the right person to marry is worth waiting for. Buying your first home the right way is worth waiting for. And these are things you don't want to rush. The most important thing we need to wait for is we need to wait on God to work in our lives. Why does God call us to wait? Because sometimes it strengthens our faith in Him. When we wait on God, it shows that we trust Him and that we believe He knows what's best. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says that our ways are not uh, God's ways, that His thoughts are not our thoughts, that His ways and His thoughts are so much higher than ours. Waiting also teaches us to depend upon Him. Waiting teaches us to be patient on God. And what's the result of waiting in God? It's the same result as being obedient to God. When we wait on God, we're blessed by God. And because Simeon waited on God, because he didn't force the issue, because he didn't take matters into his own hands, because he did not give up, he was blessed by God, and God's promise to Simeon came true, and he saw the Messiah. He saw God's salvation, and now he could depart and die in peace. Simeon was willing to wait on God his entire life. 
I asked you this morning, how long are you willing to wait on God? If you believe Jesus is who he said he is, you should be willing to wait on God and be patient with God. You should be willing to say, God, I am your servant. God, I belong to you. I'm willing to wait on you. Here's the key. As long as you take. As long as you take. But you know what? We like to to hurry things up. We like to, to move things along. We like to put God on a timetable. We like to give God a deadline. Don't ever put God on a timetable. Don't ever give God a deadline. Because God doesn't operate on our time. God operates on His time. Scripture says a day is a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is a day. And this is evident in the timing of the birth of Jesus. In Galatians 4.4, Paul wrote, But when the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. You know what Paul was saying? That the Messiah that Jesus was promised hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But it finally came to fruition in God's timing, not man's timing. And the coming of Jesus and the timing of God and sending His Son, it shows that God is worth the wait. I want to encourage you this morning, maybe you're here and you're waiting on God to work in your life. I want to encourage you to be like Simeon and wait on the next thing I want to say is if we recognize Jesus for who he is, we'll speak truthfully about him. When Simeon saw Mary and Joseph and Jesus in verses 28 through 34, Scripture says he held the child in his arms and he praised God. Why? Because he knew he was holding the Savior of the world. Can you imagine the emotions? Can you imagine what Simeon must have been feeling and thinking as he was holding Jesus? Now, we get excited when we hold a baby. But I would venture to say nothing compares to holding Jesus. And look at what Simeon said about Jesus in verses 31 and 32. Starting in verse 30, actually. He said, My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Simeon understood through Jesus that salvation was coming. And this salvation was not to deliver the Jews from their enemies, but this salvation is to deliver all people from their sin. Simeon understood that Jesus came to be a light of hope, a light of salvation, and not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And in fact, in John eight twelve, Jesus himself said that he was the light of the world. Listen to what John 8, 12 says. Jesus said, I am. Now that word I am is very significant. Very significant. A lot of times we gloss over phrases like that. I would encourage you when you read Scripture, do not gloss over anything when Jesus says, I am. He's referring back to the fact that He is Yahweh. You have to go back to Exodus 3 when Moses asked God, Who should I say sent me? God said, I am sent you. That's where the word for God, Yahweh, comes from. God's personal name, the Hebrew verb, to be. And that's what Jesus is saying when he uses that phrase, I am. But Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know what Jesus is saying? 
He's saying that he is the only source of spiritual life. He's the only source of spiritual truth. He is the only one that can give hope in eternal life. And that Jesus would bring salvation through his suffering, through dying on the cross, and then being raised from the dead. In verse 33, it says, Mary and Joseph could not believe what they were hearing about their son Jesus, and they were amazed. But Simeon wasn't through. Look at what he said in verses 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and be a sign that will be opposed. A sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You see, after praising God for sending Jesus to bring salvation, he then blessed Mary and Joseph and spoke some very powerful words to Mary about their son, Jesus. He told Mary this, that Jesus will cause the rise and fall of many. Simeon is preparing Mary and Joseph and us for the inevitable conflict between Christ and the world. Christ will be spoken against. His own people will curse him and mock him and turn away from him and betray him and condemn him, and few will follow him. And Jesus himself said he did not bring peace but a sword. Listen to what Jesus wrote or said in Matthew 10, 34 to 36. He said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own Household. Simeon and Jesus himself made it clear that conflict, that division would occur between good and evil, between those who believed in Jesus and those who did not. And what was said to Mary about and Joseph about Jesus then is true about Jesus today. You see, just like Jesus caused conflict then, Jesus causes conflict today. Jesus exposes hearts and he provokes opposition. And today there are many people in our world and our culture who oppose him and there are few who follow him. You know, when you talk to someone about God, they have no problem at all. But the moment you bring up Jesus, now there is a problem. People become offended when you talk about Jesus being our Savior and being the only way to God. I've experienced this many times, especially on mission trips with students when we go to different cities and we try to talk people about Jesus. You're okay when you talk about God. But the moment you bring up Jesus, it's a whole different conversation. Because they don't want to hear that Jesus is the only way. They want to think that their way is right. They want to change the topic or they want to try to argue. And I want to say the only way is right is what Jesus says is right. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes through the Father but through Him. And this is what Simeon meant when he said the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Because how people respond to Jesus, it reveals the condition of their heart. And if someone is offended by Jesus, it is clear they oppose Him. 1 Peter 2, 6-8. through 8, This is what Peter writes. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion... A chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, 
the stones the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Peter makes it very clear that Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. But he's also going to cause people to stumble because they are going to reject him. And not only did Simeon tell Mary that her son Jesus would cause division, but he also told Mary about a sword piercing her own heart. And this is a prophecy about the coming suffering and the coming crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus is crucified, Mary's soul will be pierced as she will witness the suffering of her own son. And she will see that Jesus, what Jesus is going to endure on that cross for the sins of the world. You see, as a parent, when your child is hurting, when your child is suffering, you hurt and you suffer as well. Because the pain that they have becomes your pain. And this is part of being a parent. I remember when Aaron was in elementary school and uh, Linda, pre-COVID, she had these appreciation teacher luncheons. And Aaron invited his favorite teacher to come to this luncheon. And it was after the worship service and we kept waiting and waiting and waiting. His teacher didn't show up. We called and called and no answer. And he was, he was heartbroken. And we were heartbroken for him. We were hurting because he had looked forward to this luncheon. He had looked forward to sitting with his teacher and she, was, she wasn't coming. So we finally gave up and we went into the luncheon. And you know what? Aaron got the next best thing. He invited me to sit next to him and I was thankful for that. But his teacher wasn't there. And we hurt for him because he was hurting. And we found out that she had just gotten back from Washington, D.C. trip at 6 a.m. that Sunday morning, set her alarm and slept through her alarm. And she was very apologetic and very sorry that, that, she, that she missed that. But that's something that he was looking forward to that didn't happen. And he was hurting over that. And because he was in pain and because he was hurting, we were hurting with him and we were hurting for him. And even though as parents we hurt for our children when they hurt, I can't even imagine the pain and the hurt that Mary experienced as she watched her own son suffer and die on that cross. You see, like Simeon, we need to speak truthfully about Jesus. We need to be bold in telling the gospel, and we are not to sugarcoat it or water it down whatsoever. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, it says, Before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, I solemnly charge you, proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. You see, we can't tell people what they want to hear. But in love, we need to tell people what they need to hear. We need to understand that people's eternity is at stake. And we have to let people know that Jesus is the only way. We have to let them know that heaven and hell are real. We have to let them know that salvation is only through Christ, by grace, through faith alone. And don't be ashamed about Jesus, but speak truthfully of Him. The fifth thing is we will serve Him wholeheartedly if we recognize Jesus for whom He is. Not only did Simeon recognize Jesus for whom He is, but, but so did Anna. 
We get to Anna in verses 36 and 37. It says, There was a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fastings and prayers. Anna comes from the Hebrew word meaning grace. And in these verses, it is evident that God's grace is upon Anna. She was a prophetess. She was called by God to speak the word of God and share about Jesus, all who would listen to her. And she also came from the tribe of Asher. That's very significant. Asher was one of the ten northern tribes of Israel that rebelled against God and was taken into captivity by the Assyrians in 721 B.C. And even though her ancestors rebelled against God and been carried into activity, God had raised Anna up. Scripture also says that she was married for seven years and then she was a widow for 84 years. And if she married as a young teenage girl, she would also be in her early 100s. And in spite of her situation of being a widow for 84 years, in spite of her being up in age, she continued to serve God. She served God by staying in the temple, meaning she went to the temple as much as possible day and night. And while at the temple, she served God by fasting and praying. We need to follow Anna's example. We need to be involved in church as much as possible, worshiping God and serving God and fellowshipping and learning about His Word. Let me just say a word to parents. Parents, you need to be an example for your kids. If church is important to you, it's going to be important to them. If church is not important to you, it's not going to be important to them. Several years ago, I had a parent come up to me and and tell me this. She said, well, now my son's in sixth grade. He can determine whether or not he wants to go to church. She said, it's now his decision to determine what he wants to do with his faith. Sixth grader. They can't even keep up with their shoes. And you're asking a child to determine what to do with his faith and give him the choice of whether or not to come to church. You know what happened? That kid, not long after that, eventually dropped out of church altogether. Don't let your children dictate whether or not they come to church. You make the choice for them. And then when they get to that point where they're out of the house, they can make the choice about their faith. But don't give them a choice as long as they're under your care and in your home. We also need to model Anna's prayer life. She was a prayer warrior. She spent as much time praying as possible. And prayer is the lifeline of the church. It's the lifeline of every believer. It's how we communicate with God. It's what holds back the spiritual forces of darkness. It's how we support and encourage each other. And a praying church is a healthy church. And I ask you, how much time do you spend in prayer? Most of us, including me, probably not enough. Because you can never pray enough. That's why Paul said, pray without ceasing. So she also fasted. The purpose of fasting was to use that time that she normally spent doing something else and spend that time focusing on God. And sometimes God may call us to fast. And what that means is giving something up like eating or, or screen time or something else and spending that time that, 
that you would normally spend doing that thing, focusing on your relationship with God. And if Anna in her situation can serve God with all of her heart and pray and fast the way she did, there's no excuse for us not to serve God and spend time focusing on Him. Last thing I'll say is if we truly recognize Jesus for whom He is, we'll proclaim His message urgently. Verse 38, it says, At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Just like Simeon, Anna gave thanks to God for sending the Messiah, Jesus, our Savior. But she didn't stop there in thanking God. It says she went out into the temple and she spoke to everyone who was looking for redemption. You know what she was doing? She was telling people that the Savior is here, that the Redeemer had come, and she encourages them to trust Him. She became an evangelist. And this is exactly what we need to do. We need to tell everyone who will listen that the Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus, has come. And as the song says, we need to go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you say, why the urgency? Because Jesus is coming again, and He is coming soon. Revelation 22.20, He, meaning Jesus, testifies of these things, says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. We should never want anyone to die without Christ, or be left behind, When Jesus comes again. I want to challenge you this morning. To proclaim the message of Christ with urgency. Because we have no idea when Jesus is coming. But scripture makes it clear that he is coming. We have no idea when somebody around us is going to breathe their last breath. And if they breathe it without Christ. They have no other opportunity to receive Jesus. Their only opportunity is here while on this earth. So I pray that we would be like Anna. That we would serve God wholeheartedly. and That we would proclaim the gospel urgently. And even though death was imminent, Simeon and Anna, they found the meaning of life. They found out what made life significant. They were willing to wait for the Messiah Jesus Christ, because they recognized who He was and why He came. But while they waited, they didn't waste their life. While they waited, they lived for God. And they served God any way that they could. And while we wait for Jesus to come again, we need to live for God. And we need to serve God any way that we can. Jeremiah 10.10 says, The Lord is the true God. He's the living God in eternal if you believe this verse, if you believe the fact that the Lord is the true God, that He is the living God, that He is the eternal King, then you will unwrap the greatest gift ever been given, and that is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And you will live for Him. You will listen to Him. You will wait for Him. You will speak truthfully about Him. You will serve Him. And you will proclaim Him. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. I want to encourage you to make that decision today by recognizing Jesus as the only one who can save you and give you eternal life and give you hope and peace and joy. 
And what better way to celebrate Jesus than to receive the greatest gift ever given? What better way to celebrate Christmas than to receive Jesus for which Christmas is all about? Maybe that's you this morning that you need to come and give your life to Him. Or maybe you've given your life to Jesus. I ask you, are are you living for Him? Are you listening to Him? Are you waiting on Him? Are you speaking truthfully to Him? Are you serving Him? And are you proclaiming Him? Maybe you need to come to this altar and and just recommit one of these areas in your life to God that you know you're not doing very well. Or maybe you're here this morning and you need to follow Jesus in baptism. If Caitlin McClintock, six years old, can follow Jesus in baptism and get in front of others and tell others that she is not ashamed of her faith, then anyone who's received Christ needs to be baptized. They can have that same testimony today. And maybe God's calling you to follow Him in believer's baptism. Maybe He's calling you to become a member of Red House Baptist Church and join this church family. Or maybe God just is calling you to come to this altar about something He's laid on your heart this morning. Whatever you need to do this morning, we want you to come to this altar. And if you need to talk to me or pray with me, I'll be down here at the front to do that. We're going to have our song of invitation, our song of commitment. And after we pray, we're going to sing. And I want to encourage you to come if God has called you to come this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, and and we just thank you for the time that we've had in your word. Father, we're thankful for the example of Simeon and Anna. Father, we thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you for their desire to serve you and to live for you. And Father, I pray that we would recognize Jesus for who, you, for who he is the way that Simeon and Anna did. I pray that we would recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And Father, I pray that we would commit every area of our life to you this morning. And Father, if there's one here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray this morning they would come and give their life to you and receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Father, what a way to start off the week of Christmas and to give in your life to Jesus, the one who came to save us. And Father, there are those here this morning who've given their life to you. Father, maybe one of these areas that we've talked about this morning, maybe maybe you've pricked their hearts and maybe you've through your spirit, convicted them of something that needs to change in their life. Maybe they need to wait on you. Maybe they need to serve you. Maybe they need to proclaim you. God, whatever it is that needs to happen in the life of those that know you today, God, I pray that we would make those changes that you're asking us to make. And Father, I just ask that we would be a a people that is defined by obedience. God, I pray that we could say as Simeon that people would describe our lives as as one of devotion, as one of righteousness. God, what a great testimony when we live our lives in a way that reflects our faith. So, Father, work in the hearts this morning. May each of us respond in obedience to you. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for meeting us here this morning. And thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray.